Welcome to the No Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series called First Things First, and this is a conversation about grace and peace. The question for you all to get started with is, what's your favorite memory so far in 2020? Enjoy. I can't imagine the moment of terror and panic that she must have been experiencing as they came into the room, fearing for her life, for what was going on. In her world, this was not acceptable and this was not okay. I don't know all of the reasons that she got to this place or what she was feeling or what he was feeling and how they got here and how they thought that this was a good decision. But in this society, he would be okay and she might be killed for it. That the religious leaders came into the room and they dragged her naked body outside and they brought her in front of Jesus. They called her a whore. They called her all kinds of horrible names. And as she stood there naked, standing before everyone in her community, everyone saying that this is the adulterer, that the man in this society is just fine, but her we should kill. And she stood there in front of Jesus and they said, Jesus, what would you do with this woman? We caught her in the very act of adultery. And Jesus, being Jesus, always showing a third in a bigger way, stood there and looked at all of these pious and religious people, the priests and the megachurch pastors standing before him and said, if any of you are without sin, then you can cast the first stone. Jesus looked each of them deeply in the eyes and stood into the ground to begin just drawing something into the sand. And then as he looked up, nobody was there. And he turns around and he looks at this woman. He says, where are your accusers? That this is always how Jesus operates that the story is filled with complexities and nuances, that the world is complicated, that the hardest job that any of us will ever have is to be human, that so many of us live into regret and into pain and to suffering and into our wounds. Some of us make choices that we're not proud of. Some of us have to deal with systems where choices that we make don't impact other people and the choices that they make in the same way. There's all kinds of things in this world that are completely unfair. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus enters to the story and offers grace upon grace upon grace. It wasn't a question of, oh, well, what was really going on here? It wasn't some type of interrogation to try to get to the deeper facts. It wasn't about bringing the man back either. It wasn't about challenging all of the religious leaders and having them expose themselves publicly. It was simply a matter of saying, oh, I think that what we all desire here is grace in a different way. And then what Jesus offers is peace that he leaves the woman, that he leaves the entire situation with a little bit more wholeness and a little bit more shalom and a little bit more completeness. And as we begin this year, we are talking about these ideas of first things first. What are the things that we start with in our lives? Last week, we talked about this beautiful reality that we don't go and search for God, that God has already revealed God's self to all of humanity, that the very first story in Genesis is about God's spirit, God's wind, God's breath, God's ruach that is already filling the entire world, that every time that you breathe in and every time that you exhale out, that is God already saying that God is there. That the story of Jesus, even before Jesus does a thing, is that God speaks from heaven over Jesus and says, this is my son with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And if it's true of Jesus, then it's true of all of us. That the first things we start with are reminders of that you are good. 
and you are beautiful and that you are loved and you don't need to go search for God anywhere because God is already within you. What a very different story than so many of us grew up with, which is you are bad and you are evil and you are depraved and you must go do this thing. Grace is free. Wink, wink, right? (laughs) My favorite all time is for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But did anyone ever tell you 3.24 and all are freely justified by God's grace? You left that out of the tract, people. That the stories go together, that the thing that God's reminding us of is not your badness, but your goodness. That what Jesus came to do is to reclaim the fact that you're made in the image of God. Those are the things that we start with. And so as we start this week, the things that we want to think about is more grace and more peace. That every time that Jesus entered into a situation, Jesus began by offering more grace. That there may have been a man with thousands of demons that were within him and possessed, and Jesus begins the conversation with more grace. That there was somebody who is unclean and hasn't been touched for years, and Jesus allows this person to touch him. More grace. There's a woman sitting at a well who's had multiple husbands. More grace. There's a leper in that society who can't even be on the same side of the street as anybody else who's healthy, and Jesus goes to these people. More grace. Jesus tells story after story of people who need more grace because Jesus is aware of this, that in every society there are human beings who we would say are the edge of society, who we have created as outcasts, who the rest of society is not loving appropriately. And Jesus knows if you can love them, if you can see their humanity, then you'll be able to see your humanity more as well. This is the thing that Jesus invites us into, that Jesus invites us into more peace, That Jesus says that every situation that I walk out of, I leave it better than I found it. This is the narrative that we're offered. So to talk about grace and peace, we got to talk about some things. we got to talk about Jesus. And then if we talk about Jesus, we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul. And then if we talk about Paul, then we got to define some things. And if we can define some things, then we got to talk about the Fab Five because, (laughs) come on. Uh, then if we talk about the Fab Five, then we talk about from and how we get there. And if we talk about where we're going from, then of course, you got to get into an Uber. And if you can get into an Uber, then we can talk about some perspective and some gratitude. And if we can understand perspective and gratitude in a new way, then we'll rethink how we receive and how we give in this world and how that makes all of the difference. And then we'll end with a little bit of our new Abby family. That would be you all, my friends. So let's do some work. When Paul comes onto the scene, Paul has actually never experienced Jesus in real life. Paul has experienced a resurrected Jesus after the fact. So it's interesting that Paul is the person who brings the Jesus narrative really into the world in a different way, but Paul wasn't like the other apostles and has all of these firsthand stories of who Jesus is. And so it's fascinating that Paul is the greatest author of the New Testament, and Paul never shares stories about Jesus' miracles. Paul always talks about Jesus as this universal Christ. Because for Paul, it was important that the early church understood this, that Jesus is for everybody, that this Christ is for all people. And so Paul didn't want to get lost in all of the individual stories about Jesus because Paul knew that what happens is, okay, well, then you're going to have to make people more Jesus, and a lot of these stories revolve around what it means to have like Jewish cleanliness laws. And so Paul constantly pulls us back to a larger and bigger perspective of who Jesus is. But Paul would have been familiar with those stories. 
Paul would have been familiar with conversations with the other apostles, and Paul would have told the truths about who Jesus is in a much broader way. So each of the individual stories of Jesus are telling you this deeper narrative of grace and peace. But Paul is trying to say, what if we pull that back a bit and we name the thing that Jesus has going on here? In the book of Galatians, Paul says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul always begins his letters with grace and peace. What Paul is saying is, this is how Jesus operated in the world, and what if you begin your life this way as well? What if every conversation that you got into, you begin it with grace and peace? What if despite all of the circumstances and the pain and the complexities of your life, what if you knew that at the core of your being there was grace and there was peace? And so Paul always talks to these churches by beginning here. Grace and peace is where we begin, my friends, even before Paul got into the complexities and the nuances of what that particular church was going through. It's like Paul was saying this. What if there's just some things that we have to try on, that we have to hold on to, the very foundation of who we are. And that if we don't understand these things, then we're not going to deal with the complexities very well. You'll see here in the rest of Paul's letters, he says it again and again and again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Doesn't matter if you live in Mexico, or Los Angeles, or China, or Africa, or if you're gay, or if you're straight, or if you're male, or female, or wherever you find yourself as a human being, Paul is saying, grace and peace. Grace and peace is where we begin. Because we are people who live in 2020, so we want to define every last ounce of who we are. And I've talked about this in here before. I'm a cisgender, white, straight, male, Enneagram 3, wing 2, ENTJ. My strengths finders are woo, strategic, right? (laughs) And we love breaking these things down, right? And then you got to go to an Enneagram coach, and then you got to like, you know, find out more about these things. And some of that is helpful. You should know yourself more. There are certain people groups who should name the fact, if you're African-American in this country, that you live through 400 years of systemic issues and racial subjugation. And that should be named so that there can be real equality in this world. And you name all of the complexity from whatever your starting point is. But Paul says, and even before all of that, there's a bigger commonality that we hold into. And that commonality is grace and peace. That we bring grace and peace into all of our complexities, into all of our nuances, into all of the places that we find ourselves. This is who we are as these people of Christ in this world. So we've got to define some things for ourselves as we think about grace and peace. Grace can be defined like this. An unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at. How many of you have heard of grace, but it's filled with a lot of conditions? You raised the hand, you did the thing, you accepted Jesus, you did the prayer, whatever, but then it was all about, can you not do these things now? Yeah, there's some guilty laughter. (laughs) Frankie Anthony Velasquez, everybody. (laughs) This is recording, so you can find him on... I wouldn't do that to you publicly. I mean, this publicly, not this publicly. That sometimes we had conditions about what are all the things that you are doing. Were you reading your Bible enough? Were you praying enough? Were you God making God happy enough? Did you go to enough youth group, you know, experiences? How often was Chris Tomlin on in your car, my friends? 
And we've made up all these rules and we joke about it a little bit, but how many of you have lived in a weird cause and effect relationship with God? Where something bad happens and you're like, I knew I should have prayed last night. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And I think that we all laugh in some way because we've been there. And grace is saying, no, 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 this is an unconditional love. The problem that we have is that we're always trying to put the pressure on ourselves, that we're the ones who have to figure out God. No, God is the infinite one. You are the finite one. The story of this is not that you can somehow please God because you got both hands in the air during worship, right? God is already pleased with you. If you do any of that out of gratitude, amen. Amen. But you don't need to do that to make God happy somehow. That it's God's grace, it's God's unconditional love that meets you exactly where you are at. Well, Corey, even in this, yeah. Even in my addiction, oh, absolutely there. Even in a place where we had to look into each other's eyes and said, are we actually gonna get divorced and what is the story gonna look like to our entire church? Yeah, even there. Even when you have to come out to your family members, oh, even there. That the story of Jesus is this, is that grace often shows up in the most God-forsaken places. That is the entire story of Scripture, is that God keeps appearing in the most God-forsaken places. That even Jesus on the cross answers with the most biggest WTF there ever was. (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus is going to say that, I promise so will you that you too will shake your fists at the heavens and say, I don't know how to deal with it this day. And that is where an unconditional love meets you exactly where you're at, even when you have nothing else to give. How many of us need to begin with grace this year in a new way? How many of you have already failed in your New Year's resolutions? Thank you for answering honestly, honestly. Every day this week, I was supposed to get up and run and read. I read one day. Thank you. Underachievers in this room, I like it. I like it. Cheers to that. And then how often do I get bad at myself because my pants still feel a little bit like I'm baking bread out of them? Just a bit. They're tight. I'm not going to lie. And not because they're skinny jeans. <laughs> and how do I begin my life even something so trivial as that of grace? Grace, Corey, unconditional love that meets you exactly where you're at. That you joke about it, but you're probably insecure about your body. Oh my gosh, is a man admitting he's insecure about his body in 2020? Yeah, read a book. <laughs> how many of you parenting right now, you're like, man, my kid just turned into a three-year-old and a monster. <laughs> All the hands in back, the parent rows. The people, there's someone with two hands up right now, right? Yes, yes, Lord. And you need an unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at because no one ever wrote a book for your three-year-old. How many of you are in a job right now and you don't know how to deal with your boss, you don't know how to deal with this power situation, and you need an unconditional love that meets you exactly where you're at? We can go on and on and on through the stories. How many of you still haven't been able to come out to your family because it's terrifying and hard work and you know the implications of it. And more now than ever, you need an unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at because you should never have to do that alone. 
that the God of the universe is always on your side, always offering this grace, always standing for you and with you and ahead of you in the most difficult things of life. That's why Paul starts there. We love to get into these books and, you know, rip them apart and be like, well, the Greek here and whatever. The point of the story is a church 2,000 years ago was going through some shit. Guess what? So are we still. They didn't have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. But the thing is, we still start in the same place with grace and peace, my friends. And then there's some peace. Peace is defined as wholeness or completeness or a slide changing. Uh, my favorite is exemption from the rage and ravage of war. How many of you have already been at war with yourself this year? Yeah, thanks for the honesty there. How many of you have ever endured an addiction? I know that's a big ass to raise your hand for. How many of you have hit rock bottom and you're in the rage and the ravages of war and you long for some peace, some stillness, some quietness? You can't see more than six inches in front of you and will you ever make it from here? That what God offers us is this shalom, which is this deep, beautiful Hebrew word of wholeness in the world. That what if even in the moment that you're at your most rock bottom, when war is raging around you, that all of the circumstances don't change, but somehow in an internal way that you can still breathe and know that you'll be okay. That's peace. And I find that interesting that even in the story of resurrection, that what happens when Jesus comes out of the tomb is that nothing has changed. Caesar was still on the throne. Pontius Pilate was still the ruler. All the people who killed him on the cross were still hanging out. That the external world was the exact same. But what Jesus provides us is, even if you go through that death and suffering, you can come out and find a renewed life on the other side, not because the whole world has changed around you, because you've changed from the inside. That's a completely different way of dealing with the world. Your problems may still be there. There still may be wars and storms raging and ravaging around you. But the hope that we find in Jesus is, is there healing and transformation that can take place, that even within here there can be peace. I was reading this story this week from Desmond Tutu, and he was talking about this idea of hope, which is very different than optimism. That optimism and pessimism come up and down in all kinds of different ways. But hope is your capacity to stare into the eye of a storm and to let the wind beat against you. And I think hope comes because we're deeply rooted in grace and peace. I am not an optimistic human being by nature. I am a pragmatist. I am a strategist. I am always eight moves out on everything that I do with four different chessboards. It's exhausting, people. Okay? My wife is an optimist, right? Like, everyone could be dying around her, and she's like, birds and sunshine. (laughs) And you're like, Fuck the birds, kill the birds, right? And it affects us in two different ways. And I think what happens is that hope is this deeper reality that we hold into because we find it from grace and peace, that despite the circumstances going on, I can have experienced this unconditional love in my life in such a way that I've come out on the other side and experienced peace in a new way that now I can live hopefully into my life. Because if what we're all waiting around for 
is just that everything will completely work itself out. All of our external circumstances will be perfect. We'll have tens of millions of dollars because who can only live with ones of millions of dollars? <laughs> that all of your relationships will be fixed and then now you'll have the capacity to be happy. Then we're all going to be miserable for a long time. I found it interesting that last week, at the end, after the sermon was done, we were in conversation time, and I asked so many people in this room, raise your hand if you feel content. And maybe a third of this room raised their hand. That two-thirds of us feel content, uncontent. That's probably pretty honest. It's probably pretty honest that we live in a place like Los Angeles in 2020. We have more wealth, more opportunity, more privileges than most of humanity has ever seen and we have higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression, that millennials were polled last week and 23% of millennials in a place like Los Angeles would say that they don't even have one friend. That's devastating. That's incredibly devastating to me. And that what we desperately need out of all of this is that we need more grace and peace, that if we're just waiting for the external circumstances to change, there's so much of that that you cannot change. But are we living into a place and an opportunity where we can say, I need more grace in here and more peace in here, and how does this thing actually shape and change me? And now here's the big question you're going to say, that's wonderful to say, Corey, how? I love where the passage always goes. It's where is this coming from? This is not coming from you. Grace and peace is coming from God, our Father, our Mother, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where grace and peace are coming from. It's saying that there's something bigger than yourself in this world that you will need. And if you balk at that in any way, shape, or form, go to a 12-step group. And the first right, um, step for every single person is admitting that your life is powerless and has become unmanageable. And then the next steps are admitting that you need a higher power. As they say in 12-step rooms all the time, you thought yourself into this situation, you're not going to think yourself out of it. And do I understand all of the ways that somehow that works, that God shows up and offers you grace and peace? I am happy to say, I don't. I don't know how to fix all of that. All I know is that when I practice within my own life, admitting that my life is unmanageable, admitting that I'm powerless, that I don't think it's that God shows up more, it's that I see where God has already been. That I get out of my own way in some capacity, and I think that there's some deep truth there. How do I know that there's deep truth there? Queer eye. You saw where I was going there. I like this. Look at the Fab Five and what they do every week. What they do is they come into a situation and they tell a person grace and peace. Oh, well, I look this way and I don't feel good about myself and I don't know how to work in this relationship in my job situation. And with a simple haircut and a little trim and different clothes and putting some fresh paint on the wall, they say, you've always been fabulous. You, you, not a different you. We're not coming here to tell you how to be a different person. We're coming here to highlight the incredible person that you've always been. That's grace and peace that sometimes we need other people to come in from an outside situation and to be fabulous to tell us how fabulous that we are. Sometimes grace and peace shows up in our life because we've chosen intimacy and vulnerability in a community where somebody else can squeeze your hand on a Sunday morning and remind you of that when truthfully you could be at brunch. Sometimes grace and peace happens because you got into that smaller group. You went to that therapist. You finally talked to that spiritual director where someone got to remind you of the fabulous you that you have always been. I sound like Dr. Seuss up here. 
That's where grace and peace comes in. Some of you maybe are open that you're such rock bottom that you can see where God is already moving. Some of you need the hand of another human being to remind you of the truth of who you already are. And that's where we need more grace and peace. There is a story about Latanya and Kevin. There's a picture of them in this Uber, Uber ride that happened about two years ago. And Latanya is a woman who uh, wasn't able to graduate from high school and had kids early and uh, decided, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my AA. So I'm not only going to graduate from high school, I'm also going to get my AA and work towards my bachelor's. And some financial situations happened in life where she needed $693 to pay Georgia State University to continue on with her degree. She wasn't able to come up with that $693, and over time, uh, started you know, driving for Uber and started driving for Lyft and make that money. But like most of us in real life, it seemed like a financial mountain to overcome. And one day, she picks up Kevin in front of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, and they get into a conversation that Kevin had just gone through a divorce, and LaTanya told him her story of going through a divorce. And they sat in that car ride and he just thanked her, thank you for letting me know that I'm not alone. He was just so grateful for her vulnerability and her openness and her honesty that even in a car ride, he would know that it was gonna be okay. She talked about how it was okay for her kids and how they figured it out. And then she begins to share her story that she's this working mom who's trying to get ahead in the world and why she's driving and why she's gonna be, keep coming back to Mercedes-Benz Stadium that night because she's trying to make the $693. Kevin was so moved by this that he went to Georgia State University and he told them her name and he paid off that $693 that allowed her to go back to school and to graduate that year. And the beauty of it is this, they both needed grace from one another. They both needed a truth that was already residing in the other person. They both showed each other that you can start with grace and end with peace if that's how you want to live, if that's your posture in the world. And I love this narrative so much. And I love what LaTanya says afterwards. She said, it was a reminder for me that there are still good people left. I look out into a room right now that reminds me, there's lots of good people left. That's the whole story of humanity. All good people who need to be reminded of their goodness, who need a little bit of taste of grace and a little bit of taste of peace to know this is the way that things really are. That's the story that we want to live into. Some of that happens because we have a shift in our perspective. And sometimes a shift in perspective only happens because you're choosing to remind yourself of grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Think of that thing that you have going on in your life right now that's just that negative DVD. Do we have DVDs anymore? DVR, whatever, you know what I'm saying. It's on repeat in your head. Anyone have that thing that they can't stop thinking about that's super negative all the time? Just me, okay. That when we have these lies that we tell ourselves, what if this week we just practiced, oh, what if there's grace there? I don't even know what that means, but what if there's grace there? What if an unconditional love of God will meet me exactly where I'm at, even in that situation or with that person? Oh, but I need to know the steps and the answers and how many, no, no, no. What if every time that thing comes up in your mind is that an unconditional love of God could meet you exactly where you're at? What if you just said that to yourself? What if that's even a possibility? How could that even change things? I know I sound like a prosperity preacher up here, but I'm dead serious. Sometimes it starts with saying, what if this could be true about my life? And maybe over time and with enough space, the thing might not change, but my whole perspective about that thing will completely change. What if I begin with having gratitude? I have a two, a four, and a six-year-old. 
which means that most of the time it's awesome, and there's a lot of times that it is complete shit show, right? <laughs> it's chaos. And they all have their own chaos in their own special ways because they're two, four, and six. And in my worst self, when my kids are just going wild, I want to, you know, like strangle them or something like that. And right, that's, please don't quote that, bloggers, blah, 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 pastor wants to kill kids. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Metaphor, don't take me literally. And there are other times when I'm at my best, my, my best self where I can laugh and have a little bit of gratitude. Bella, she's two right now, and she's at this place where she is sassy. She's very, very sassy. We have this chair that she sits on the corner of it, like on the armrest part, and I don't want her to like get her feet all over it sort of thing. It's like that chair. Don't do that to that chair, right? And uh, she was sitting on it the other day. I said, oh, Bella, you need to get off the armrest. Please get down. And she looks at me and just goes, no, never. I was like, what? <laughs> I will bring the wrath of God down on your life right now. And I just laughed because honestly, it was so cute that I could have a little bit of perspective and be like, she's two. And how many of us want that from God? That we are just so locked into the negativity of the things going on. We look at God and go, no, never. It's on you. You want this? Let's go. Right? Bella's in this place where her favorite thing to say to her brothers is stupid head. Right? They'll tell her, oh, Bella, you're so beautiful. Bella, we love you so much. She goes, stupid head, Caden. Stupid head, Bryce. And it's awful, but also sometimes incredibly funny. She came up to me the other day, and I thought she was like this like, loving moment where she like, cuddles me and like, grabs my face and just looks straight at me and goes, stupid head, Dad. <laughs> what a beautiful picture of how we are with God. You're a stupid head. I don't like the way that my life is working out. And what we need to practice is some gratitude. And maybe we laugh at the difficulty sometimes, that we have a little levity, that we have a little bit of space because we have a different perspective, that these are helpful tools that we can take into our lives. And this is something that I deeply believe about a place like New Abbey. We call ourselves a rowboat all of the time. I believe that this place is a place where each of you are beginning with grace and peace. I believe that for a lot of us who've come into this room, we've got to unwind some things, redo some hardwiring, get a new software update on some stuff, where so many of you for so long have been told such a negative and awful story about who you are and who God is. And the more that we have one another, the more that we experience each other's stories, the more meeting interesting persons that tell their narratives, the more smaller groups, the more whatever, the more just coffees or beers, you name it, you get to be reminded that there's grace and peace. And that as grace and peace grows in you, you get to offer it to other people. And then just like the experience points on that bad boy is just like popping up everywhere here, right? More grace and peace and more grace and peace. When people get to hear stories about other people coming out, then they get the bravery to do it in their own homes. When people get the stories of, of hearing about an addiction, then they get to say, oh, me too. I'm actually there. I've been afraid to tell anybody. And you get to begin with some grace and peace. And I believe that the more that we honestly receive that with different perspective and offering gratitude in our lives, the higher capacity we'll have to hand it out. Not because it's magic, because it's true. And I believe that this is a beautiful community that is living out grace and peace all of the time. I hate social media, by the way. Worst thing ever invented. Um, but I love going on social media. And I was on last night. My wife was out with some friends. And I just saw like story after story of people in this community who were hanging out. And I just had like the warm fuzzies inside. 
that all of these people are meeting because this place can be a vessel of grace and peace. And thank you that you continue to be that to one another, that you're finding grace, that you're finding peace, that you're finding hope, that you're finding this radical good news that says that you're already loved, that you're already a child, that God's already pleased with you. And you're like, and because that's so true, let's grab a beer, my friends. Keep doing that. Keep finding ways to love one another. If you're one of the 23% of millennials or whoever, whatever group that you're in for, you know, age groups, and you're defining yourself as lonely and you don't have friends, please, for the love of God, sign up for a smaller group. Reach out to one of the pastors. We want to connect people in this room so that we can be reminders of grace and peace to one another. That's the real work that has to be done. The real work that has to be done is not showing up and putting your ass in a seat on Sunday, I'm afraid, Right? The real work that has to be done is that we love one another so well that even in our greatest complexity, that even in our biggest nuances, even when we think that we have nothing left, that we're surrounded by people who can say, even there, an unconditional love of God meets you exactly where you're at. I don't know how I'm ever going to get through this. There might be completeness. There might be shalom. There might be wholeness. That even out of this war that's ravaging around you, you too may get out of this and we get to remind each other of that truth. Would you find those same three or four people around you and answer this question? Where do you need to receive grace and peace in your life right now? And where can you give grace and peace? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.